Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. We're beginning to look at the Song of Songs in the Old Testament. Uh, it, you know, it's been an embarrassing little book for so many evangelicals, particularly today. I have discussed the spectrum of interpretation out there historically in a previous podcast, and I'm going to confess I'm in the minority, but that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily wrong. Uh, but but I do think that this prophetic marriage gospel interpretive lens has a great deal of merit, and uh, that's why I'm tossing it out there. But you're going to say, I get it, Dr. Bill, that's just not how I've heard it preached. Uh, you know, I, I heard a series by so-and-so. It's a marriage wisdom literature or dating manual, right? Or a collection of love poems about human love. Well, I think those are valuable uses of the Song of Songs, and I've benefited greatly from teachers that go that direction, but I think it leaves way too much on the table. I believe that it is one of many Old and New Testament presentations of the prophetic marriage form of uh, interpretation, of gospel, of prophecy. And I think it's going to make sense once we hear it. So with this podcast, we're going to look at the three reasons I disagree with most of the Song of Songs commentaries out there and why we go in a new and different direction. Uh, by the way, I want to say this in starting. We, we've we uh, just cracked the 1,300 downloads a month. Thank you so much, viewers and listeners, for for checking with the podcast and passing it on. I appreciate it. Our goal is to confuse as many people as we possibly can. No, actually, passion at Gospel App is to come alongside of hurting, frustrated, weary Christians and to help us hear the music again. And I hope we're doing that. All right. All right. Before we get into this podcast, let's take a brief word from our sponsors. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, welcome back. So uh, I prefer to speak of, this is uh, something we've coined, prophetic marriage gospel school. 
prophetic marriage gospel school. So not literal, not allegorical, not dramatic, not uh, a collection of love poetry, the prophetic marriage gospel school. Look, it's a recurring gospel message to the Old Testament. Check out Hosea 2, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 54, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 32, 33, Ezekiel 16. God has regularly used the metaphor of a husband looking for and finding a bride to describe his redemptive plan. It's commonplace. This shouldn't be a surprise. In the beginning, Adam and Eve shattered their intimate relationship with God, and God's redemptive plan is all about restoring that relationship for all eternity. So in scriptures, both Israel and the church are referred to as God's bride in waiting. Uh, New Testament and Old Testament. So God, the Father, Son, and Spirit have divined, created, and entered into an intimate relationship with an unworthy, unrighteous, lovable people made up of those from every people group on the planet throughout history. Right? Redemption. It's a restoration of the relationship that God had with the first humans, man and woman, that was shattered the fall, sin. And to accomplish this new intimate relationship uh, attachment, God is going to use his powerful love to make his bride, that's us, feel loved and make his bride feel loved for him in return. It's often referred to in marriage terms. He is going to be their loving, adoring, honoring, faithful husband, and they will be his loving, honoring, faithful, adoring spouse. And she's going to resist his love until... His love's power rewires her brain, and she falls into his arms. That's the church age. (laughs) In this metaphor, faith is a fruit of his love's capacity, God's love and capacity to make her, that's us, feel love and trust again. And she responds by saying yes to the question, will you take this God to be your only God and Savior and to love him and be loved by him alone? And she responds, With love and worship, do such a husband, a God. It's not a man thing or a woman thing. She represents male and female alike. And Jesus accepts the charge to pay for all of the bride's unfaithfulness on the cross. See how all this works integrally? He now is preparing a place in his father's mansion. One day he will return to take his bride home. In the meantime, the spirit is working in the heart of the bride, rewiring the twisted brain inner workings So she, me, you, we feel secure and loved and more and more respond to God in love, right? Discipleship, sanctification. And please note, this has nothing really to do with today's ongoing dialogues about complementarianism or egalitarianism. Look, there's no misogyny or subjugation or oppression in this relationship. It's not male or female. Again, the queen is a metaphor used to represent both males and females, It's a gospel presentation, prophetic marriage gospel. So the love of God is not given based upon one's lovability or supposed beauty. God's love creates one's lovability. So here we go. The uh, the first of the three reasons why we interpret the Song of Songs as prophetic marriage gospel is it's a common approach used in both Old and New Testaments. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise. I'm not sure why it's taken us this long to grasp this. It would have been so familiar with the Old and New Testament saints. It was one of God's go-tos. So even though the Song of Songs is unique, it has the same fingerprint as all of those other passages. 
right? In fact, by the way, Old Testament scholar A. Van Selms notes five points, often obscure points of similarity that you can find in the Song of Songs and only also find in Hosea 2, 7 to 9. And he concludes that this fact asks for an explanation, meaning, man, the fingerprint's there. If you look at it, you can actually see that there's a great deal of similarities. I mean, I'm not saying it's the same author or the same editor. Uh, all I'm saying is, like Van Selm says, you know, it's a great question. All right, this is as good a place as any to deal with the elephant in the room. Again, we moderns, Jews and Christians, are just uncomfortable with the way these passages presents God and his love for us. He's sometimes a pursuing lover. He's bursting with human desires. In other places, he's he's uh, presented as an offended, angry husband. And some suggest there are overtones of modern concepts of misogyny and oppressive patriarchalism. But, oh my goodness, uh, no. So anyway, like the allegorist and the literalist we talked about in a previous podcast, we're hesitant and maybe uncomfortable, um, you know, offended on God's behalf. We want to protect his holiness. But look, don't shoot me. He wrote the thing. So how can we speak of God, in particular, his love for us? Now, by the way, we could also have this conversation about his wrath, his vengeance, his anger, or even his compassion, but but let's deal with with love. Uh, Listen, this is great. The great Puritan scholar, preacher, Thomas Goodwin, so helpful, he distinguishes between the effect of God's love upon us from the affect within God, within his heart, so to speak, that's motivating his actions. And I'm going to speak humanly here, and that's what he does. Kata anthropon lego. Paul uses that Greek phrase in Romans 3, 5. It means, so I'm going to talk humanly here. I'm going to use human terms and concepts here that don't necessarily apply to God, but that's all we've got. We have to use human terms, and since we can't explain God, we don't have the the words to describe what's going on in God's heart, we can't even... You know, we, we, we use that metaphor of God's heart, even though God probably doesn't have a heart. Are you with me? Kata anthropon lego. So in the Song of Songs, the king, God, is described as romantically pursuing the very faulty queen. He's described in the poetry, and you'll see, as a lovesick teenager. He's going to stutter. He's going to say his knees buckle when he sees her. They, they're described in the throes of intimacy. Well, God, Really? All right, so here we go. Uh, Thomas Goodwin, the affect, the feelings within God's heart and soul, you know, if we we want to, we can say that he adores her with all of the love in the universe. But we have to realize that we can only say this as we see the effect of that love upon her. The affect somehow motivates, quote-unquote, again, kata anthropon lego, him to pursue her and to lavish her with his love and adoration because we see the effect it has on her. And the Song of Songs is that put to words. So are we saying that he has inappropriate human desires, the flesh? No. Remember, kata, anthropon, lego. The important thing is the effect. It's what happens, this beat-up, insecure, unwanted lady who gave away what little social value she has testifies that she not only has been loved, she is for a moment shalom, whole, in the arms of God. Remember, God doesn't have arms, kata, anthropon, lego. So this powerful love of God, affect, did its job, breaks through all of her brain's protective mechanisms. Thank God I need that. And that's what God's love does, or God does. 
and makes her feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of God. That's the effect. So we see the affect, what God does, and the effect. So do the poems talk about God having sex with her or desiring sex with her, physical sex? No, that's creepy. (laughs) No. Now I'm going to say more about the neuroscience of love, but I suggest that the designer of her brain used the capacity of her brain to make her feel what brains are designed to feel in the arms of a lover. Kata Anthropon Lego. So sure, God could have produced a massive technical paper for Old Testament scholars that describes how his powerful love releases dopamine, oxytocin, depletes serotonin, which causes certain response that are reserved for intimate partners. But man, that'd be pretty boring. And I think it would have confused, you know, the, the Old Testament saints. But I can say, Kata Anthropon Lego, that God loves me. What do I mean by that? God's spirit, he's holy, he's full, he doesn't need my love, he doesn't need to love, but he's community and he's filled with love and honor and glory. Again, I'm I'm using human terms to describe things that are beyond my pay grade. Me, I'm nothing like that. I'm riddled with relational issues. My ability to love and be loved is all twisted up inside my beat up brain. So what do we do? What does the Bible do? It imagines the love of God the Father Uh, in human terms. And we must be okay with that and open up our hands and stand back amazed at its otherness and vastness that takes our breath away and opens up our hearts to be loved again and gives us the power to not only love, but to feel loved. Our love has inklings of this, of course, but it's beyond our ability to explain it. Here's how Paul does it, the, the legal scholar. For this reason, Ephesians 3, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See what he does? Surpasses. I can't, I can't explain it, he says. Back to Ephesians, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Right? Kata anthropon lego. What does that mean? What does the fullness of God mean? What does it mean for me to be filled with it? But the effect is Paul feels loved. Paul the murderer feels loved. Okay? Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Again, you hear him straining to explain this in human terms. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So, based upon Paul's legal framework, what can we learn about this love of God, kata anthropon lego? Well, it's beyond measurement. It's beyond description. We run out of adjectives. Two, we learned that it's God-sourced, meaning it comes from him through the spirit and our inner being. So, it's of God. It, it has power and apparently very effective, so it's going to be noticed. It's not like it can happen to you and you not notice. And somehow you begin to feel full, whatever that means, right? But it has to be good. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, there we go. You're welcome. <laughs> and I would go even further to say that, that, this is, that Paul is, understands that this is what our brains have been asking for and daring to imagine experiencing and, and finding that this world falls flat in this in this area, right? Well, look, I have an online program for 
Christian parents of teens and tweens, we're, we're walking on that same path. At its core, we try to help parents see that their child desperately needs one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. That's a quote from Yuri Bronfenbrenner. But the problem is that they they have deeply dug subconscious inner working models that prevent them in their brain from experiencing it. And again, I'm still talking kata, anthropon, lego. So what do they do? They do what their brains are, are, are designed to do. They, they're desperately looking for that height and width and length and depth of love somewhere, somewhere else. And look, being loved is very hard with beat up, twisted brains. John Calvin taught that the secret workings of the spirit in our inner being is to make us, to make our beat up, twisted brains feel the favor, the love of God every day. Well, why do we need the spirit? Why do we need daily power to begin to get it? Don't we want it? Well, didn't Jesus pay for it 2,000 years ago? It's already ours. Well, it's very sophisticated. It's because our very brains are subconsciously working against us experiencing it. Nothing has hurt us more than relationships, and our brain's designed to guard us from hurt. Our critical inner voice is going to try to tell us, particularly after bad days, that we've screwed it up. We deserve God's anger. We deserve him pulling away from us, right? I would, but that's not the nature of God's love. The effect is the queen feels loved. The, the very damaged queen feels love, right? It might be the nature of your father's and mother's imperfect love, but not the vast love of God. Again, I have to speak kata anthropon lego. So God incarnates poetry to help me understand his love and how it works. But we must understand that he's using words and human concepts to help us humans understand and, and how we humans can experience it more. Now, so we post-Jesus Christians can speak of affect more than they could in the Old Testament. Why? This is so great. Uh, good one again. Because now we can see the incarnated Jesus and see how people responded to him. We can see in his eyes the affect, the love of God. Here's a good one. But Christ has both effects and affects in his human nature. Now God is truly merciful as a man in Christ. God taking on human nature in Christ might thereby become loving and merciful to a man as one man is to another. God is now forever to be said to be compassionate as a man and to be touched with our infirmities as a man. So in Christ, we can actually say, use human terms. And isn't that an amazing gospel presentation to a world of lonely, beat-up, anxious, insecure, gender-confused, ashamed people, right? There is a love that we can see now in Jesus that has the power to make you feel, me feel loved, no matter who you are, what's been done to you, or what you've done. I can tell you about it. Um, I can read you the poetry, but to experience it, we still need the Spirit because our brains are so messed up. And so, unfortunately, the allegorical school— no judgment, has put the experience of the love of God way out there, the end of a long, arduous spiritual journey where you have to separate your soul from your flesh and where you first must deny your desires. It's, and, and it's only spiritual desires. Again, what, what does that mean? But no, the gospel, and if I will, the prophetic marriage gospel, is that God has given you physical and spiritual desires. And they're both all twisted up, but they're initially of his making, and they can be satisfied in relationship with him right now as you are, including your body. 
The literal school also wants to take your body desires out of the formula related to God. I mean, I'm not sure how you even do that. What muscle group are you going to use? Anyway, uh, um, look, you can deny all of those desires all you want. But God is going to pursue all of you, and he's going to embrace all of you. Inordinate selfish desires, right? Pornea are byproducts of broken, lonely, insecure, addicted, afraid, and unloved persons. I'm going to say more. Uh, But this love of God is not only the goal, but it's the powerful cure. Cool? So anyway, I prefer to speak at the Prophetic Marriage Gospel School. It's a recurring gospel presentation in the Old Testament. I mentioned Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16. In each, God marries to himself based upon his own affect. Again, kata, anthropon, lego. He marries a unlikely, unfaithful, unworthy bride, and she does what she does and is unfaithful. And he then must pursue her in order to powerfully transform her into a faithful bride of glory in his arms and through his love. But the language is earthy. I get it. And it's troubling to we moderns who want to protect the reputation of God. But these were the words that God wrote. Blame him, not me. The story of Gomer and Hosea is pretty familiar, right? And it's part of that corpus of prophetic marriage gospel writings. God tells Hosea, this prophet, to go and marry a prostitute, just to make it clear to everybody what God did when he married Israel at Sinai. And Gomer is what she is. She blatantly has sex with anyone and everyone. And God will try a number of things to deal with this sex addict, and none of them help. And and I'm writing a chapter in my new book on the Song of Songs about her, but the things that God initially does looks like the modern how to deal with a sex addict book. And guess what? They didn't work. I think that's the point. So the last thing he does is the most important thing. And I'm going to speak kata anthropon lego out of his love affect. He takes her into the desert, separates her from any possible alternative, strips her naked and loves her with all of his love. And we know it's power to heal and, and to change. And the effect, what, what does it do for, for Gomer? Oh, this is interesting, right? We don't know. Because we're not shown the effect in Hosea. Isn't that interesting? We see the, well, we we get the affect from God's testimony. We get what he does, but the effect we don't see. We don't know if she gets it or has changed. We don't see the effect, by the way, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel passages either. The only place we see the effect of the love of God for his unworthy and unlovable bride, get it, is in the Song of Songs. And maybe that is why this is the Song of Songs. It's the after story. It's it's the gospel pre-New Testament. That's why I love it so much. All right. It's as good a place as any to get another word from our sponsors. Please make sure that you like and follow and share this podcast. Uh, Send it to someone that you think will benefit from it, at least one other person. uh, And I thank you ahead of time. We'll take a short break. All right, welcome back. Review. The poetry is speaking kata anthropon lego, so don't be offended. Don't get your tidy whities in a bunch. God is not having sexual relationship with the woman or with us. The affect is that God's love is so other, so massive, that it's more powerful and transforming than such intimacy anyway, physical intimacy. It loves her, the queen, body, soul, and spirit, and me as well. It's a humiliating picture of God, isn't it? I get that. And yet, that's his DNA. 
That's what God does. He humiliates himself to deal with us, to set aside his glory and reputation for the sake of such a bride and such a bride as be, kata anthropon lego. Listen to Psalm 113, 5 to 7. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, which, by the way, he deserves, he should be, he should he should be enjoying his retirement from creating everything. He should, he, he he's that person, right? But look what happens. Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Why? To raise the poor from the dust and lift the needy from the ash heap. The stoop down is the word shuffle, which means to humiliate. He's humiliating himself. How else do you describe what he does? But he does this not for his sake, but for ours. It doesn't withdraw anything, remove anything from his glory. Matter of fact, it adds to it. But that is what he does. It's the nature of God. And that's the nature of his love for you. Again, kata anthropon lego. And look, he writes these songs. These are love poems to you. Let me put it another way. To get you to begin to experience his vast love, which is so other, so superhuman, so inexplicable that your brain will say, that's too good to believe. He's going to use all the brain chemicals at his disposal, including those that ignite within a couple that is in love. That's, that's the point. So the effect that is that you will feel loved like you have never felt loved before, and it's going to be great. In the Song of Songs, she becomes the loved queen. That's the effect she feels. Now, to be sure, it's, it's body poetry. Uh, by today's standards, most modern Christians will be shocked, and I get it, offended by the imagery. In such love poetry, apples can refer to the queen's breast. Going down to the garden is a double entendre for sexual intimacy. I get it. But after all, this is God's story as told from the point of view of a young teenage girl. So he's speaking teen. He's speaking Gen Y. He's speaking, speaking Gen Z. Uh, my first book in the Song of Songs, The Kiss of God, co-authored with Colleen Pepper. Uh, look, it was rejected by a major evangelical publishing house in 2010 because we represented God as being this romantic, humiliating, pursuing deity. And the publisher told us that such an image would be offensive to so many of their target audience. Oh, man. Um, by the way, I think he's right. Um, it, it would be because that's just how we've been groomed. Um, it, it's, it's sad. So in a tragic way, we Christians are much more comfortable with a God who loves us from a distance, who doesn't come too close, who doesn't ignite all of our fears and emotions. And, you know, he just remains reasonable. We don't have to lose control that way. But a distant God on a distant throne is not the God that we need. By the way, you can find that book on Amazon right now. I recommend it. Uh, I'm rewriting it, but that won't be out till later this year. So enjoy. All right, we're going to pick this up in the next podcast. What are my two other reasons why I disagree with most other interpretive approaches to the Song of Songs? <laughs> and remember, I'm not saying that they're evil or crazy. I've benefited tremendously from other scholarship. I think that there is a much better approach that only highlights the gospel of Jesus Christ better. That's, that's what I'm saying. So look, pass this on to other people. Use email, social media. Just call them and tell them about it. I'm excited to say that we've cracked the 1,300 downloads a month, Mark. Praise God. But our goal is to confuse as many people as we can. 
No. Our passion, our goal is to help frustrated, weary, beat up Christians begin to hear the music again. So once again, thanks for listening and passing this uh, word out. See you next time on the Gospel Rant. Take heart, child of God. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.